goal of Data Transformers podcast is to accelerate digital transformation by bridging the gap between business outcomes and rapidly advancing technologies. And we aim to bridge this gap by focusing on data. I am Peggy Sai, top 50 women in tech influencer, co-author of the AI book and data governance expert. I'm Ramesh Danta, an entrepreneur, a tech blogger, and AI enthusiast. Yep. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Data Transformers. Today, we have with us Debbie Reynolds, aka the Data Diva. So we're going to talk about what that means. But she's a leading global data privacy and protection expert, strategist, and speaker and author. Thank you, Debbie, for being with us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's really exciting. Uh, I've been a fan of yours, Peggy, for a while. So it was nice that you asked me to be on your podcast. Uh, welcome, Debbie. And so join uh, you know, Peggy's uh, fan club. So, so I'm one of our fans as well. So that's, that's good. So good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you both. So, so Debbie, recently in the news, you talked about partnering with the Privacy and Cookies team. Um, with your consulting company, Debbie Reynolds Consulting, on a, a data privacy risk index. Yeah. Um, so love to hear more about what is this risk index about? How did you come about doing it and what the um, implications are? Sure. Um, so uh, Lawrence Shaw and Robert Andrews, who are part of the Privacy and Cookies team in, uh, in the UK, they called me up several months ago and we were just talking about just websites and how, you know, people navigate websites and how it's, uh, a lot of times really confusing for privacy experts to find out what's happening with websites or even where to start when they're trying to evaluate a company or, you know, uh, what they're doing with data. And a lot of times, you know, being able to look at how websites are collecting information or, you know, whether it's cookies or some other type of ways that they're looking at it, you know, like, I think uh, this tool can track things, not just, uh, you know, third party cookies, cookies that the company put together, uh, things like um, the database information is being captured in some way. So it's, it's a quick, comprehensive high level look at what certain websites are putting out. And obviously some companies are more complex, right? So they have many websites uh, that you have to look at, but I thought this was like a fun, cool, interesting thing. And they called me up and said, Hey, we're thinking, you know, they've done it for kind of the London index. And they thought, you know, let's do one for the fortune 500. And then I said, yeah, that's a great idea. And they were like, well, let's do the fortune 1000. So they went away for a couple of months and they've worked on it. So that's, sort of the how they created this index has been very popular, very well received. Um, you know, I know for me it helps. So so it's kind of two parts. One is you can go on and look at the Fortune 1000 companies and look at their, you know, website and cookie stuff. And it gives them a rating or a score based on, you know, how many trackers are there. Uh, but then also you have an option if you go to my website, you can click on the link and look at any website. So any website you want to put in, it'll give you the same, 
kind of high level report or what they're tracking that may be, you know, just educational for people. So it's been, you know, a fun project. It's more just, you know, a collaboration for people, you know, they're very expert in websites uh, in terms of, you know, they work with a lot of government agencies and big companies. So that's kind of their bread and butter to be able to find out, you know, here are the privacy issues that you need to look at. And I think, it's been really helpful for privacy professionals as a kind of a starting point if they're looking to evaluate companies or even if they want to use a certain website. Hmm. That's great, Debbie. So the question I have is this privacy itself. Let's uh, just defining privacy. I mean, there are a lot of aspects. So there's a data privacy and there is a you know customer privacy. And then as a user of the internet, uh, you know, genuinely we, people are concerned about their own privacy. So if you could lay the groundwork for privacy, what are the things that it encompasses and what is your focus? Yeah, good question. So I think about privacy as a right of individual uh, to be able to control their information in some way or what's private and what isn't. And then so for data privacy, it's how does that right get articulated and how data is handled about individuals? So I help companies, I like to say, I help companies make privacy a business advantage because sometimes companies can think of this like, oh my God, this privacy stuff is really giving me a headache. Uh, where I'm saying, you know, if you are, you know, respecting the rights of individuals, you can make money, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll have more customers. So we're starting to see, customers do things like, uh, you, you know, I think recently we saw when Facebook changed the WhatsApp privacy policy, people were just up in arms. And that kind of shocked me because I thought, are that many people reading privacy policies now? You know, I was happy that they were reading it. But the whole point is you want the customer to make an informed decision about whether they want to use a product or not. And from some of those people, they decided, some people say, okay, it doesn't bother me. So I'm going to continue to use this. But some people say, you know, I want to go to a different company. And some of them did. I think they shut down a signal server. So many people were trying to get on there. Well, that was me. Up. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but I think, you know, that to me, that's illuminating to companies that privacy, you know, we can scare you with fines and stuff and you should do this or whatever. But, you know, customers can make choices. They can change who they want to do business with. And I think that's going to be a big theme going forward in privacy. So I think companies that are taking privacy seriously will have better business advantage. And that's what I help companies do. And, and Debbie, you, you mentioned the fact that um, you're, you're surprised that consumers are, are reading those terms and agreements, right? When they, I think, I think most users just automatically just, I accept, right? Um, so aside from terms that types, terms and agreements, going back to the, the risk index, it's cookies and the tracking, that's, we're essentially allowing, um, as a consumer, I'm allowing, myself to be tracked on, uh, if I go onto a website um, through my IP setting and it, what are the other ways that a consumer is, may not be aware that their privacy data is being given up um, when, they're, when, they're, um, when they click on the I accept button? Yeah. I think one way that people don't even think about is on their phone. So a lot of times when you're downloading apps on your phone, 
even when the app is closed and you're not using it, you may have agreed for them to track things that you're doing on your phone, even if it's not open or track even other apps. And a lot of people don't think about that. They think, you know, if I'm in QuickBooks, for example, on my phone, I close it out, then it's, you know, it's not doing anything. That's, that may not be true. So in, in terms of the terms and conditions and things that we click through, especially in apps, you know, they're on those small screens. So you're not going to read 80 pages of anything on your phone. I hope not. Uh, but, you know, you're agreeing to a lot of this tracking. And I'm actually glad that Apple has come out with their iOS 14 where they're rolling out a lot of these privacy things where they're letting you know, okay, if you, you know, did you know that this is recording you? Did you know, you know, uh, are you sure that you want to share everything with, you know, this particular application? And, you know, e even me as uh, like almost a tinfoil hat type of privacy person, uh, you know, even some of the things that they let me know, I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to do that. You know, like I, for example, I wanted to, uh, upload something from like, I think G drive or something to another app. Mm -hmm. So I use an app to, to, uh, read uh, stuff to me. So I don't have to read it myself. Uh, but it gave me a warning. They were like, you know, all I wanted to do was upload that one document to this app. Right. And it gave me a warning and said, did you know, if you said yes, that they can see everything in your G drive and they can do this and they can do that. And I thought, I don't want any of that. You know what I'm saying? So I think just bringing awareness to stuff like that is really important because people just don't understand that. Hmm. So Debbie, there's, um, there are two sides of this equation, a privacy and security to convenience aspect of it, right? So this is always seen as a, you know, the inconvenient, the more privacy or more security regulations compliance means less convenience, right? So for the user, right? And then um, uh, we, we talked about the tracking of the usage of itself, right? But there's the privacy has more aspects of the information that I provide to a company, right? So that's email or other information, you know, that also needs to be private only for the purpose that I send it to, right? So um, then uh, there's a password related uh, aspect as well. So given this, this balance of a privacy versus convenience, uh, where is it shifting to right now? So are, are people, consumers, majority of them accepted? I mean, the WhatsApp thing, I understand what happened, but I've accepted that, okay, fine. You know, more privacy means less convenience for me. So I'm willing to live with you know, less privacy for more convenience. Has, has the pendulum shifted one way or the other over the last few years and where is it now? That's a good question. That's a great question, actually. So normally people say privacy versus security, but you're saying privacy versus convenience. Uh, the one reason why companies are able to get people to agree to something is because they make it very convenient. It's obviously more convenient for you to click on a say yes to use something you want right this second <laughs> than to read 80 pages. So, you know, that's always the choice is like, you know, choose what you want to do now for a future harm that you don't know about. <laughs> and most people say yes. So I think it's important that people who are creating like privacy centric tools, they need to keep convenience in mind. It should be as convenient to protect your privacy as it is to give it away. So I think that's very important because we were talking, I was talking to someone about this yesterday where, you know, a, a lot of people aren't going to go through a lot of hoops to protect their privacy because they're going to, they're going to do yeah. what's convenient for them. Yeah. So let's make what's convenient for them also what's most secure for them. 
So Debbie, I'd love to um, get your opinion on like new technologies that are certainly coming out, but may not have the privacy by design features built in. Um, first of all, um, what are your thoughts on just not just that in itself? And then secondly, a concrete example that has a lot of privacy experts up in arms was was Clubhouse. Right, the fact that it allows you're giving up your access to your entire phone book contacts just to join um, and participate in a, a new a new um, you know platform. So, do you think that the shift is strong enough for companies for to release these type of new technologies, um, but not have the privacy embedded in it? I'm just like so surprised in this day and age that that can even happen. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, interesting, interestingly enough, I think some of these apps or the things, the reason why they're free is because, you know, when you have a free app, you get to agree to a lot of things, you know, so uh, the sky is almost the limit of what they can get you to agree to. So if you pay for the app, it would be different. So there would be different laws that would apply, different rules would apply because then you can, can say, you know, I'm giving X for this particular value and you can kind of say that they are equal or in some way, right? Where when you're giving an app for free, the what you give up is, is unequal. <laughs> so the unequalness of it, I think, becomes part of the reason why a lot of these apps are free. Like, so let's say, let's say if, if Clubhouse costs, thousand dollars a year for you to join you probably say no i don't want to do that but they may make a thousand dollars for you you know just because you join for free so that's just one of those things so um you know i think you know when people were upset about clubhouse taking your contacts a lot of apps do that a ton of apps do that and i've gotten uh notices for years where they're like oh you want to share your contacts absolutely not you know i almost always say no I don't think I've ever said yes because I'm like, why would you need my contact? But uh, uh, you know, other other things that we use use our contact list too. So for that reason, I, I wasn't super upset about what Clubhouse is doing. They're basically doing what other things are doing. Uh, I give you an example. So if you have a phone and you drive in your car and you use Bluetooth to connect your phone, like I do that, play music or whatever they download your contact list and they don't ask you, they just do it. And they update it every time you connect your Bluetooth. So where does that data go? You know, no one is asking that question. And that's something all of us deal with almost every day. If you have a car, you connect Bluetooth. Mm -hmm. So I think Debbie, actually on, on that front, looks like the, the privacy related complaints issues come, if I see them, let me just state it and see if this makes sense to you. One is my own privacy. Let's say if I sign up for Debbie Reynolds Consulting Company, right? So I'm going to provide my information to you and I expect you to keep my information private, right? And the issue comes when you go and sell that or you share that with some other person, then okay, it may be okay, it depends on the value of the other person. I may be okay, but just not you telling me uh, that you're sharing is that's one aspect of it. 
Right. The second aspect of what we just talked about this app called Clubhouse, where then now you're also able to collect my friends' contact information. They themselves have not given me permission to share with you, but your app has the ability, right? So that's where the issues come in, where I'm okay sending it to you, but you either sharing my information or my other people. Uh, contacts information you're taking it without permission so that's where the issue comes and then to some extent gdpr ccpas those have addressed where you cannot share my information with other people without my permission right so then i should have but looks like we still have not addressed this you know issue that we're talking about where apps like clubhouse or apps like a facebook or where they have a I mean, almost like a right to take my contacts information without any regulations. Is this, is this uh, did I lay out properly the issues here? Yeah, well, the, the issue is consent, right? So you can consent to almost anything. There is very few limits to consent. So you can't sell your limbs. That's like your organs, that's illegal, right? But beyond that, there's very little that you, there's so much that you can consent to. So the way Clubhouse works is, uh, that you get an invite from someone, you go on the clubhouse register, and then they say you get to invite two people to mm -hmm. clubhouse, but you have to give up their your contact list. So that is the exchange right there. So they're like, you can't invite two people unless you give up this contact list. So you've exactly, you've consented to this in order to go to that next step. So if you want to join clubhouse, don't get don't use the two friend thing if you don't ever invite anybody actually the app asks you a lot so it'll ask you probably 10 times do you want to share your contact and they'll say oh it'll be great for your friend you know they'll make up reasons and ask you like 10 times and you have to say no 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 and you can't invite anybody to clubhouse if not but what they've done with you know the, the trickery in, in here is the consent again so they get people to consent and that's legal to say, I'm going to, you know, in exchange for me being able to invite two people, I'm going to give you my contact list. I so see. that is legal. Yeah. Well, in this case, uh, Ramesh invited me on Clubhouse. So I guess see, yep. she still has not accepted. <laughs> she still has not accepted, by the way. I have not accepted. Well, just for this very fact, um, Debbie, like I'm just concerned about my friends who are very mm -hmm. private. I mean, I'm more public, right? I, I do podcasts and I do webinars and people can find me. <laughs> but a lot of my other friends do not want to be found or known or on the internet. Like they're <laughs> yeah, they're low social profile. So it's a, yeah. It's almost like I'm giving I'm I'm giving up their consent on their yeah. behalf. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It's trick. It's tricky because actually, in order for them to, you know, uh, in order for you to have their contact, they have to consent to you to give it to you, right? So, yeah. in a way, they're piggybacking off of your relationship with your friends or whoever. You know, my contact list is very boring. It's probably the guy that fixed my furnace or something. You know, the plumber. <laughs> I have all the CDOs on my speed dial, so I just have to be careful. <laughs> um, go go ahead, Ramesh. I yeah, yeah. So uh, okay, so now let's uh, talk a little bit about um, what uh, Peggy alluded to, um, right? So data diva, 
right? So she introduces Deja Diva. So, and then that intrigued me. And then when I first looked at your pro- profile, uh, I said, wow, it's, it's good. And there are a lot, lot of people, some of the people that who came on our show before, and for example, the one we published uh, now, uh, Bill Schmarzo, he called himself the Dean of Big Data in the past. I, I don't know if he's still calling. So uh, how, how does this thought of, you know, rebranding yourself Data Diva come to you? And then what has been the experience like since you started uh, doing that? Yeah, well, I will just tell you that I've always been bitter because as a kid, I never got a nickname. Like people have cool <laughs> nicknames. Like someone, I know someone named Red. I'm like, damn, I wanted a nickname like that. So I was like bitter that I never got like a nickname growing up. Um, I went to a networking event and it was about like branding and LinkedIn and stuff. And a reporter from the Wall Street Journal, she was one of the facilitators. And she had put us in groups and we were sort of thinking about things. And I gave her my elevator spit pitch and she said, oh, you're like the data diva. And I was like, what? And we just laughed about it. And and uh, one of the other women who was in my group, uh, she, uh, Yvette Pena, actually, she's like the head of diversity for AARP. She's like, you should totally use that. And I thought, oh my God, like, that's so crazy. You know, I was like really bashful at first. And I mm-hmm. thought, you know, this is interesting. You know, that's probably a good way to sum it up instead of like, oh, I'm Debbie, I'm from this and that. You know, I thought it'd be memorable. And I sort of snuck it on my LinkedIn page. I put it like at the very end of my headline, you know, uh-huh. and just to see how it happened. And like the next day, people start calling me, oh my God, I love that. <laughs> So I started using it and it's been, you know, very popular. Like pe- there are people who know the data diva and don't even know my name. So oh, they're, like, right? they're like, oh, because I connect with people. And they're like, oh, I saw- can we connect together? And then someone looked at my profile like, oh, my God, you're the data diva. Oh, yes, we have to talk. So it's been pretty, it's been very successful and it's, it's fun. because I've never had a nickname, so it's fun. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's, that's great. So because I always wondered like a... What happens? Let's say I'm the guru of something, something, right? It's like people get say, "What the hell? You don't know anything." So it's like, who, who call you there, guru or anything like that, right? So uh, there is always that side of the things. What will people think of you when you're trying to title yourself uh, things like that? Okay, it's good. Thank you. Yeah, I well, think I think it's fun. I've seen people do it, and it's been great. You know, um, you know, it's definitely helped me a lot, like breakthrough, especially. Especially because, you know, if you work in certain data areas, sometimes people want to pigeonhole you in those areas where I'm, you know, I I am data agnostic. So it doesn't matter to me what industry data is. You know, I just like to work with it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today and would like to hear more, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite player like iTunes and Spotify. And please do rate our podcast. Also, please go to our website, www.datatransformerspodcast.com for more episodes, blogs, and information on our speakers. Thank you.